knowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Let us pray. Our Father in God, we now come before you with the privilege once again to look into the word of God. And I pray, Father, as we prepare for a journey through the epistle of 1 Peter, that you would use it in our lives, prepare our hearts, help us to be receptive to the things that you have to teach us. And we pray, Father, and ask that the book that we study together, we would not only learn and understand it in its context, in its original sense of being sent by Peter, but also, Father, to its message for us and its application to our daily lives. We thank you again for the privilege and ask for your guidance as we study the Word of God. In Christ's name, amen. This is the introduction to 1 Peter this morning. Uh, we will probably have two weeks on it, uh, dealing with uh, background information, as you'll see this morning, and then the salutation. We have just concluded our study of the book of Titus last week, and we are beginning our journey, uh, Lord willing, through the book of 1 Peter. And while I was studying the book and preparing in light of some of the things that I have not only read, but have seen in public and have seen on television and over the internet, uh, the questions that I'm about to raise could be raised in the study of any particular book, but I thought it appropriate as we're starting a new book to raise a, f a number of questions that are being raised in our society and certainly came into my brain again. And that is, as we prepare to get into 1 Peter, could we not, as we gather here together on Sundays, could we not just do something else religious? Why do what we're doing? I think it's appropriate for us as Fellowship Bible Church, with the beginning of a book here, to take this step back. I mean, last week we finished Titus. This week we're going into 1 Peter. Why do that? Why not just come and get involved in a sacrificial system? Why not just bring a lamb and have a feast? Why not just come together and let's burn a bunch of candles? Let's get involved in some deep meditation where we all just come together once a week and sit in a bench and, and just meditate and cross our feet and just have a wonderful time. Why not do that? Or why not do something just liturgical, whatever nature it might be? And by the way, when we're talking about, talking about bringing animals, I've been to other countries and that's what they do. It's not only liturgical, but the concept of bringing sacrifices to an area where they can bow before a Buddha or something like that. So why not just do that? Why not just, uh, there's a lot of religions in the world. Why don't we just join in what they're doing and do that type of thing ourselves? And through this process, try to appease God. And uh, just in case, at some point in time during the week, we need him. So let's just come together and just appease him by doing something like that. Or simply just to make ourselves feel good. Because there are a number of people around the world, and there may be some in this room, 
who basically come together on a Sunday to, to feel good about the fact that maybe I did something religious. And, you know, we got to have some religion. You know, we don't want too much of it. But it would be a good thing just to get together and let's just take the Bible. That's okay. And just go wherever we want to go on it and have kind of a little discussion of it and just enjoy some time together so we kind of feel good. And why not do that? Well, I will say this to you. We could. We could do those things on Sunday. And it might even make us feel good. It might even make us really feel good. But will it really help you in life? Will it really help me in life, or will it just be a nice emotional experience that we had to feel good, and then we go out and get shredded during the week? More importantly, is that what God wants? Does God just want us to come together and have a good time like that, or even just open our Bibles? Is that all God wants? I will tell you right away, the answer to that question is no. In fact, God very openly in the scriptures rebuked the nation of Israel. And if you were to take the book of Isaiah on your own and look at chapter 1, you will see God even asking the question, and it came from him. Why are you bringing these sacrifices? Why are you bothering to come week and day after day? Who told you to do these things? God did. However, they were coming and they were just doing it. And so I want to challenge this right away as we prepare to study another book. Why are you coming here? Just to do this? Even though we open the scriptures. God doesn't just want activity. He wants us. He wants our heart. He wants our whole being. Okay. Well, we don't want to do all those religious things, but we want to open the Bible. But why open the Bible? That brings us into another area that I'm seeing more and more. And I don't know if you're seeing it, or it's just my little circles, but I'm seeing it all over the place, that this comes up. Why are we here on a Sunday to study the Bible? I mean, why this book? It's an ancient book, isn't it? It's kind of old. Yes, it is. And in fact, First Peter, this letter, or this epistle or this book, as we call it, was written approximately 2,000 years ago. Why would I want to, in the 21st century, come to a building like this once a week and study a book that's been written over 2,000 years ago and the letter wasn't even written to me? It doesn't say it there right away. How could it possibly be of interest or help to my life today when it was written back when they didn't even have computers? How could that possibly be? I think those are good questions. I think they're fair questions. And I think to understand that before we get into the book as part of the introduction to this book, I want to address those questions as to why we come here at Fellowship Bible Church Sunday after Sunday to study the Word of God, and I say this for all of our benefits because, as you know, even in our own congregation, people move and they get transferred to different locations of this, this country or even around the world, or they move on, and how in the world should you evaluate where you're going to go for religious purposes or for religious services, and, and why do you want to be at a place that studies the Word of God? I think those are good questions. 
Well, first of all, we all would recognize, I would hope, even though there's just been a recent debate on this, that God is the one who created us. And he has created us in the image and likeness of God. We did not evolve, sorry. I have not got the intelligence that that man who just debated on this subject, who I saw another excerpt of it this week, uh, I am not at his level, but I know this. I know God created us, period. And we have been made in the image and likeness of God. And even in the world that I'm living in, I can see a distinction between me and animals. And I don't think you have to be a genius to understand that. Well, he created us in his image and likeness. And if we accept that to begin with, and we accept the fact that we are mortal, we are finite, and God is infinite. Can we at least start at that base where God, if he created us, he's the boss, we're not. We're not going to be here forever. We're going to die. He has been around from everlasting to everlasting, or he's not God. And we know the scriptures say he is. And if that is true, then we are accountable to him. And by the way, that is part of the reason, in case you didn't understand it, that is part of the reason why people do not want to accept that God exists. Why? Because the moment they do, they are now accountable to him. The moment they admit that, they realize that one day they will give an account to him. They are responsible. And I will tell you this right now, in this room, all of us one day will give an account to God because he did create us. Well, how are we to get to know him and how are we to get to know what God expects? Well, through communication. Should that surprise us? I don't think so. Why? Because God needs to communicate to us his expectations. How does he do that? Well, he started by talking directly. And guess what that's called? Language. And by the way, there may be some beeps and there may be some growls and there may be some singing and there may be some other things from animals, but not one animal can sit down and write a language. That ought to say something to you. Just the very existence of language shows you that we've been created in the image of God and likeness of God and we're different. God uses language to communicate, and he did that directly. And he could do that today with all of us. That would be no problem with him whatsoever. God started that way, and he used language by a means to communicate to man what his desires were, and it was God himself that sought to record it and to preserve it. In fact, with the Ten Commandments, the only reason people talk about the Ten Commandments, regardless of what religion today when they talk about the Ten Commandments, they only know there were Ten Commandments. Guess what? Those were written way beyond over 2,000 years ago. But they're only aware of it because God saw to have it recorded. In fact, it says in Scripture during the second time, his finger recorded it on stone. Why? To preserve it so we would understand it. So if you're a person in this room that thinks, you know, I have to live by the Ten Commandments, and that's, where did you get that idea? It was because God communicated. It was because God had it recorded and because God saw fit to give it to us. And through that idea is he gave us basically his policies or his manual for how to believe. How did that process work? Stay with me here uh, this morning. Go with me to 2 Peter. I want you to see this to show you why we are studying 1 Peter. 
Second Peter, the second epistle. You say, we haven't studied the first. Why are you going to the second? To show you the process. Second Peter chapter 1. I want you to see how we got what we're going to study and why we study it. This is all background to leading up to our study of 1 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Interesting passage. For we did not follow, this is Peter talking, right? 2 Peter, Peter's talking. We did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power, watch this, the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just grasp that for a second. Here is Peter saying, we, when we made this known to you, we didn't come up with some fairy tale. We wanted you to know the power of God and the fact that he's coming again. Look at that. And how did he do it? He tells you. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Where did that take place? Peter, Peter had the privilege of being there for the transfiguration. Remember that? Where Moses, who had died, and Elijah, who had died, listen, both had died physically, were there and appeared, and Peter saw them. And he saw the glorified Lord. And he says, when I told you about that, it wasn't a fairy tale because I heard it someplace. I saw it as an eyewitness. But I want you to see what else he goes on to say. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance as this was made by him, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mount. That's a transfiguration. He said, we heard it, we saw it, so when I talked to you about it, I came to you as an eyewitness. That's tremendous. If you and I experienced something like that where we saw God or we saw that like Moses did, the mountain smoke and stand in the presence of God, that would be such an exciting event and we could say we were eyewitnesses, we stood there. What better information could you get? Watch. Verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all that no prophecy of the scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of a human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I want to give you the essence of that, because we're not studying Second Peter right now, but I want you to get this. Peter says, I was eyewitness to one of the most magnificent events, and I can talk to you about that, but you have something that's even more sure than what I saw. What is that? It is the Holy Scriptures. And how did that come about? The process was this. He tells you. There's no guesswork here. Man didn't choose. Peter didn't choose to sit down and say, today I'm going to write Scripture when we study 1 Peter. We studied Titus. Paul didn't sit down and, you know what, today I'm writing Scripture. What happened was God chose the mechanism of language and communication, and it tells you right there in verse 21, it is the Holy Spirit of God that moved chose the men, and they spoke the word of God. 
Who wrote the scriptures? That comes up all the time. And people get all upset about this. Well, Peter wrote the scriptures. Yes, he did. And Paul wrote, yes, he did. And Luke wrote, yes, he did. Don't get afraid of that. They did. But they were writing in a different way than we write books today. The Spirit of God specifically chose them, and they gave us the Word of God. That was the process. We ought not to be afraid. When somebody comes up to you and says, the, the Bible, that was all written by men. Pretty good. Pretty good. You're right. Nothing wrong with that. You say, well, then I'm afraid. No, why? God moved these particular men. He didn't move the writer of Moby Dick. He did move when this was written. That's the difference. And what he's saying to us is, I want you to understand, you have something more sure than what I witnessed. Why? Because Peter is saying, I saw this personally and a few other men, but you have something that's been given to everybody from God. And it's sure. And you can rely on it because he's the one that chose the people and made sure that they recorded what he wanted. So what was the result of that process? Turn with me to the result in 2 Timothy. And I want you to see, this is why we're studying in Peter. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now many of you, I know, <clears throat> I am well aware <clears throat> of this congregation. <clears throat> this is when the water comes in handy. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, men. For making that available. I know, I'm well aware that there are a number of, many of you that are sitting here, that's, this is Bible 101 to you. But let me even challenge those of you that are way above that. It's good to review. It's good to understand and say, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing as a church? That's what it drove me to in my study. It isn't that I don't want to study First Peter. I've been having a great time studying it already. We all need to understand this. What was the result of that process of God choosing men? 2 Timothy 3, you know where I'm going. Look at verses 16 and 17, and I want you to catch this. All scripture is inspired of God. All of the scripture was God-breathed. All of the scripture, not some of it, all of it came from God, and watch this. It came from God, and it is profitable for teaching. For what? Reproof. For what else? Correction. For what else? Training in righteousness. If you want to know how to please God, if you want to know how to walk in this world righteously, God gave us his word. Watch this, verse 17. So that the man of God might be adequate, equipped for every good work. What did we just learn out of the book of Titus? That as believers, we are supposed to be involved in good works. If you're going to be equipped to do that, where do you go? To the words that came from God, that God has given us, so that we would be adequately equipped. Look, at some of you, probably many of you have been watching the Olympics. In order to be an athlete like that, they have to be properly equipped. For those that went skiing, not a one of them would want to use the pair of skis that I have in my cellar in the back room. <laughs> They're not going anywhere. And you want to talk about skates? 
I have a pair of old skates that are so old that there's no support in the ankles and they would break their ankles walking on the ice. What am I saying? They need to be properly equipped. How in the world are we going to live the life that's pleasing to God? We have to be properly equipped. Where do we go? That's why we are going to the Bible. Because God chose language and we are going there to get properly equipped for the things of life. Turn with me to Psalm 19. This, we have to do this. Psalm 19. This is why I knew it would take two weeks to get through this. It wasn't any other reason, but I thought this was so important for us to see. Psalm 19, I love this. Can we learn some things about God through creation? Of course. I'll go all the way back to verse 1. I really want to get to verse 7, but let's do that for a second. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Wasn't it great to see the stars last night? I heard that comment from a couple of people. What was it? They looked up and says, ah, stars. We haven't seen them. There's been so much clouds and snow and rain. Stars. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. I haven't even read it yet, but we just got the newest issue of uh, um, National Geographic. And I saw it on the cover. We haven't even ripped it open yet, but I saw it on the cover. Black holes. That's what that's talking about. The expanse of, is declaring the hand of God. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech. You can't go anywhere in the world that there are no words. Their voice is not heard. For their line has gone through the entire earth and their utterances to the end of the world. And in them, he has placed a tent for the sun. Imagine that. It's just placed there as, as a, in a tent, which is as a bridegroom coming out of its chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. It rises from one end of the heavens and its circuit is to the other end of them. There is no nothing hidden from its heat. We understand that. We can learn from God. But watch verse 7. The law of the Lord, that's your Bible. The law of the Lord's perfect. What does it do? Watch, watch. Do you believe this? It restores your soul. The testimony of the Lord, what is that? The word of God. It's sure. What's it going to do? Make wise the simple. You want to have wisdom? Where do you go? The word of God. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord, what is that? The word of God. They're right. What does it do? rejoices the heart. Do you want to get excited in your heart about knowing how to live? You want to get excited about knowing God? You want to get excited with wisdom? You want to have a soul that's restored? Where do you go? The word of God, the commandment of the Lord, verse 8, is pure. What does it do? It enlightens the eyes. It gives me vision. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Watch this. They are more desirable than gold, yea, than much fine gold. The scriptures are that important to us. Why do we gather on Sunday mornings to talk about the scriptures? First of all, that was God's communication to us through the process I just showed you. And as we come to it, we need to see that this is more precious than any gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Watch this. Moreover, by them, and that is me and you, your servant is warned. In keeping them, in keeping them, there is what? Great reward. So to learn them, to study them, and to keep them, there's great reward. It's profitable for us. That's why you go to the word of God. Okay, it, fine. 
But okay, why is it just relevant? Why don't we just get involved in relevant topics, Pastor Dan, and get into topical studies? Let me say this. First of all, there is a place for topical studies. Nothing wrong with that. But I don't think you want to build on that. You know why? Go with me to 2 Timothy. We're almost ready to start 1 Peter. Go with me to 2 Timothy. You say, Pastor Dan, the whole message is gone. I told you, two weeks. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I did this to stir us all up about why we're doing what we're doing. We can go topical. There's a place for that. Why not just get into relevant things that are popping up now and then? And by the way, a lot of us like to do that type of stuff. Well, I want you to notice these things quick. First of all, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 4. I solemnly charge you. Here is Paul getting ready to pass off the scene turns over the reins, if you will, to Timothy, and he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is the judge of all the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. I'm going to tell you this right now. I believe it with all my heart, and you will see it. This generation and this day and age does not want the word of God. The primary thing they want is music. There's nothing wrong with music, and you know we've taught on it. You see that we're doing things which are, I believe, godly and balanced, but they don't want the Word of God. And people are trying to get the Word of God and the message down to about five to ten minutes just so it's minimal. That other stuff is good, but it's not going to carry you. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort with great patience and instruction why, here's why, and we're living in it. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. All I want to do is hear the teacher that's going to tell me what I like. That's not why we're here. And will turn away their ears, what, from the truth. Isn't that amazing? Paul said, I'm going off the scene. The day is going to happen that people are not going to want to hear the word of God anymore. And they're going to go with teachers that will just tell them what they want to hear and the things they want to talk about. But you be sober in all things, enduring hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. One more passage, 2 Timothy, again, chapter 2. You knew I was going there, verse 15. And then I'm going to go one Old Testament passage. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved of God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. What does all of that mean? When we come together, why do we come together? Why do we study the Bible? First of all, it was God's way to communicate to man what he wanted. He recorded his word. Secondly, it's what's going to help us to grow. It's what's going to help us to learn how to handle life. It's going to help us to be wise. It's going to help us in righteousness, in godliness. It's going to help us in the practical aspects of our life as a family. It's going to help us in our practical lives at work. It's going to help us as a practical matter in when we're dealing one with one another in the local body. It's going to help us in handling people who are lost. 
and how to tell them to be saved and come to Christ. It's going to help us with knowing what happens with life after we die. It's going to help us to be wise in making decisions everywhere along the line. We need it. And then when we come together, we need to make sure that we accurately cut it. That we don't just pull it out here. We pull it out there. We take it out of context. And what does that mean? In order to do that, listen, you have to apply this. And this is a summary of a whole year's course. You have to do it literally. You have to do it literally. Our society is saying don't take the Bible literally. And there are many who are believing certain doctrines because they don't take it literally. We have no right to change God's word. We need to take it literally. We need to put it in its historical context. We need to understand the grammar that surrounds it. And we need to see what it means, first of all, to the recipients. And we're going to see that in 1 Peter, to whom it was written. And then what it means to us, even in application. That is why expository preaching, and that question was raised, is absolutely essential today. I am not creating God's word. God does that. Jesus Christ did it in the New Testament, and then he gave it to the apostles. It is our responsibility now to teach it accurately as it was written. And when you expositorily preach the word of God, it avoids, first of all, hobby hosses. There are those that's all they will preach on is their subject that they want to preach on. I can't, I, I can't do that if I'm going to expository preach. Secondly, it forces you, and here's what's important for you. It forces the teacher to teach the whole counsel of God. I will tell you as a pastor, and I know it was true with Pastor Stringer, and I know it's true with Pastor Chris and anyone that stands in this pulpit, there is nothing in this word of God that I will avoid, no matter what our society says. May not be comfortable. I may not understand some of it, but there will be nothing that will be avoided. And when you expositorily preach, that's what it forces you to do. We are going to be faced with it in verse 1 of 1 Peter because it can't be avoided. It forces you to take it literally, not figuratively. And to show you a biblical example out of the Old Testament, then we'll jump to 1 Peter for just a couple of moments. I want you to go to Nehemiah chapter 8. And there's a reason. Now, if you find the book of Job, you can find Nehemiah. You say, How, where's Job? If you can find the book of Psalms, then you'll find Job. Go a little bit before that, and you'll find Nehemiah. Okay? Nehemiah chapter 8. They had the same problem that we did. I mean, the word of God, Moses had the word of God given to him directly. Time had gone by. You come to chapter 8 of Nehemiah. They had found the word of God. That actually goes back to Chronicles, but I don't want to take the time to do that. But I want you to see this. Verse 1 of chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man in the square, which was in front of the water gate, and asked Ezra, watch, the scribe, to bring the book. Bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Why? That's where the word of God was. 
And all of the people knew they needed it. Watch verse 2. I'm just going to take it to verse 8. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. They didn't all have Bibles when they came there. And he read it. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from, wouldn't you love this, early morning until midday in the presence of all the men and women and those who could understand and all the people were attentive. Nobody fell asleep. To the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood in a wooden podium which they had made for that purpose and beside him stood, I'm not going to deal with those names. I will muffle them up, okay? Trust me. And I'm not being facetious. It's hard to pronounce, but let's go to verse 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, we just did that, and all the people answered amen and amen, while lifting up their hands when they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Joshua, Benaiah, I gotta do it, Sherebiah, uh, Janan, Achab, Shabbatiah, Hobath, uh, Manasseh, Kelita, Azariah, Jezobad, Hanan, Peliah. The Levites explained, and here's what I want you to get, the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book and from the law of God, watch this, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. What we are doing has been done for ages. Why? Because the people needed the word of God. It's how God recorded it so they could have it. They read it, they interpreted it, and they applied it. Why do we come together on Sunday mornings? What is the purpose for coming together? Should we just have a bunch of religious activity? The answer is no. We need to take the word of God to read it as it is, to interpret it as it was written, and to try to apply it to our lives, and that's why we are here, because it is profitable. Now, how do you determine where you're going, Pastor Dan? I want you to understand this, just opening up my heart to you. Why did you pick First Peter? Did it just sound like a good? Did you toss a coin up in the air? No. How do I choose a book so that you understand it, not that you're really interested, but I do pray about it, number one. Number two. I try to evaluate this congregation. The elders knows this is true. Every book that I choose, I try to evaluate where we are as a congregation. I try to understand the issues of our day. And I take input. And you do? Yes, from the elders and from the assembly. The book of Titus that we studied together was also a result of those things. That brings us to 1 Peter. First Peter was written in real time, under real circumstances, with real revelation from God. And we're about to study that book. Why? Because our purpose of coming together isn't just to feel good. It's to understand God's message. When was it written? It was written in the mid-60s AD. That's a long time ago. Long time ago. It was the latter part of Peter's life, so you understand that. And it was in the time of Nero. Ever hear of him? Where did he write it from? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 
I will exegete this when I get there, but I want you to see it. Where was Peter when he was writing this so we understand the sense of the letter? Peter there was uh, writing in the mid-60s A.D., chapter 5, verse 13. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And so does my son Mark. That answers the question. You say it does? Yes. He was writing from Babylon. I will tell you this already. We'll exegete it and explain it later. Some have interpreted this to be Rome. Some have interpreted it to be Cairo in Egypt, in case you didn't know that. And some say it is literally Babylon in the Euphrates. I will tell you this, that the natural meaning in this text is that it is Babylon on the Euphrates. And I don't know of any reason why we would interpret it otherwise. I will explain that when we get to that portion of it at the end of the book. But I want you to see it. So that's why he's in a place called Babylon, which I believe is literal Babylon. And he's writing. He's writing to people. What occasioned it? And here's what we'll leave with today in our preparation. Believers in the first century church, and I hope this excites you to want to study the book. Believers in the first century church were already challenged in their living for Christ. They were living in a hostile environment. Rome was in power. There was persecution going on. They were being persecuted socially in that they had unfriendly neighbors who were unsympathetic with Christianity. They were being challenged economically and people did not want to buy or sell from or to believers. And they were also being challenged physically. They were being beaten, they were being put in prison, and eventually some of them were being crucified. That's what led to this letter, so you understand the historical sense. We'll, we'll talk about Peter next week, but Peter was writing, and he was in Babylon, and he's writing because of those circumstances that were going on. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1 and prepare you. In this, he says, you greatly rejoice, even though now, watch, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Do any of you have any trials? Anybody here have any struggles? Challenges? Peter says he's aware that they are in trials, and it's only for a little while, and they're distressed by it. And he's writing to them because of this. Go with me to chapter 3 of the book. I want you to see the sense. Chapter 3, go down to verse 13. Please grasp this before you leave today. Who is there to harm you, watch, if you prove zealous for what is good? Who can harm you, he says. <coughs> but even if you should suffer... For the sake of righteousness, if you're suffering and you're doing what's right, look, have you got this perspective this morning? You're blessed. Don't say, woe is me. You're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. Well, how do I defeat that? Watch. This will prepare you. Sanctify Christ as Lord of your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. No one's going to ask you that unless they see it in your life. Yet, 
with gentleness and reverence. Watch. Keep a good conscience so that in a thing in which you are slandered, those who revile, watch this, your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Is that practical? I think so. 18. For Christ died, also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirits. He understood persecution. Go with me to chapter 4 to set the tone for the book. In chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes among you for your, what? Testing. As though some strange thing was happening to you. But the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Where is the bigger picture? We are going to answer to God. I need to be pleasing to him no matter what happens. Verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of Christ rests on you. However, watch this. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed. But is to be glorifying God. Where? In the suffering. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Notice that? Peter understood. The point is, Peter is in Babylon, and he's writing a letter in time, realizing the persecution and suffering that believers were facing. And his purpose, you're going to see, Lord willing, next week, is to attempt to encourage them. Encourage them what? Go away with this this morning. Not to give up. Not to run away from Christianity. Not even to complain about it. I think you're going to hear some things tonight about that. Not even to complain about it. But he's going to instruct them in this epistle like you and I all need. How do I live in the midst of trials? How do I do it? I need to know how. And he's going to write them to encourage. So as we prepare for this, Lord willing, next week we'll pick it up in verse 1. Begin to look at Peter. Begin to look at who he's writing to <clears throat> and set the tone as we go through. But why do we come here on Sundays? Why do you come here? Why do I come here? Why do I stand up here? Folks, it's not to just get involved in some religious activity. In our hands, by the grace of God, we hold the precious word of God. God chose to have it recorded, preserved, and available so that you and I can grow, so that you and I can be rebuked, so that you and I can be encouraged, so that you and I can be perfectly mature, equipped for every good work while we're left in this journey on earth. So we're pleasing to him. And the primary reason for our coming together is to study this book 
and to rightly divide it. And we're about to do that as we go into another epistle and begin together to journey through God's instruction through the Apostle Peter to help us in our trials. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for some fundamental things that we reviewed this morning. How gracious you have been, God, in not only verbally conveying what your expectations are and how we can have a relationship with you, but by your precious sovereign plan, had it recorded, written down, preserved. And Father, we can even come here on Sunday mornings just to be together and even read the word of God without giving you our heart our whole being. But I pray that we would come here with excitement, wanting to look into a book that this world is calling ancient, old, and useless, and begin to see that we've got a book that is old, but it's from the heart of God. It is old, but it's been recorded and preserved so that you and I can be equipped by the gracious hand of God to be able to live a life that's pleasing to you, to know you, and to share that with others. And I pray, Father, as we endeavor to open up the pages of the book of 1 Peter, that we might truly grab a sense of Peter's writing to these people and just what it means for us as we every day face trials. James tells us to rejoice in trials, but it's not easy. But help us to be equipped to do it as we study the word of God together. We thank you and praise you for the word of God. And I pray that this journey would be a blessing to all of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.